everybody. Welcome to, I guess we'll call this an emergency edition of the Origin Brown Talk podcast. Uh, I'm Dan Lobby, and I'm joined by Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you? I'm doing great today, Dan. How you doing? Doing well. And Ellis Williams joining us as well. Ellis, how are you? I'm cool, man. What an odd day. I woke up thinking I was going to Browns practice, then we're not. Then I thought Christos Porzingis was going to be playing for the Mavericks, and he wasn't because Luca's hurt. So I thought he'd be out, and then Luca hits a game winner, and now we're podcasting. And for it to be an odd day in 2020 says a lot, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, so look, the reason we're doing this, especially today, even though we weren't out at Browns practice, is because the day started with news that a, a large number of teams were affected by a series of false positive tests. They all came out of the same lab in New Jersey. Uh, a number of teams, a high number of positive tests came back. All these teams scrambled to get uh, rapid tests done and, and confirm if those tests were actually positive or negative. Uh, I believe everyone to this point has reported that they were false positives. The Browns, of course, are who we're going to talk about. They had double-digit positive tests and they have said to this point, those tests all have, have come back as false positives. Um, in one way, this is probably good for the NFL because it shows them what they need to get in order over the next three weeks. But uh, let's just start with this whole situation. Mary Kay, as this is playing out today, <laughs> I mean, what, what was your initial thought and then kind of as the day went along? Well, my initial thought was I, I had worried about this from, uh, you know, from day one. If you guys remember, I've been asking about false positives uh, when we talked to J.C. Treader. I asked about false positives when we talked to uh, Dr. Vuz, uh, the Browns team physician, and the Browns head trainer, uh, because I've been doing a lot of research on this. And just right before all of that, I had, uh, you know, I had read about uh, a whole batch of tests in Connecticut uh, that were false positives and, and some state health department officials just happened to, to catch it and 62.5% of the tests were false positive. And so I was kind of worried about that. And I, I wondered if there would be days and weeks like this. So I can't say that I'm surprised. Uh, what I do think is that better to happen now uh, because now they can put controls in place to see if there's anything they can do about it. All along, I always thought that they should send uh, a certain amount of unsort of swabbed tests out each day to see if they were coming back positive. Uh, that was one of the controls that I thought that, uh, that they should really do just to make sure everything was cool. Um, but also, I think that they're going to need to reevaluate the, the lab that this happened with. It's bioreference in New Jersey, and they can't afford another batch of mistakes like this especially with the season less than three weeks away. Ellis, as, as you're watching this all play out today, I, I guess, I mean, like you said, such a weird day. Uh, and I know for you, like, so much of this is, is kind of new as, as far as uh, training camp is concerned. So as this is playing out for you, uh, what, what are you thinking? Yeah, covering my first draft was uh, one of a kind, we'll say, and this has been a one of a kind training camp. Um, I'll start with this. I know, Mary Kay, you're not one to go out there and take a victory lap, but I'll do it here for you. You've been all over this. Uh, you, you really called this shot. And for, like you said, Dan, the NFL has to be taking a big sigh of relief that this didn't happen uh, leading up to a game, you know, a Saturday before a Sunday kickoff. What a nightmare that would have been. Uh, and they really are going to have to look themselves in the mirror here and figure out how something like this 
is becomes 100% avoidable, if that's even possible. It, it just, this cannot uh, keep happening. And I'm, I'm sure the NFL knows that. And it's going to be real fascinating to read um, the, the stories that come out from this, you know, as we, as we get into Monday and Tuesday, just from a national perspective on the league and where they move forward with this, because um, I agree with Mary Kay. It, when you, when you really take a second and think about it, it's not shocking, but the NFL was so um, silent about uh, the possible possibility of, of false positives that they didn't address it till, till they had to. And now they're, they're here scrambling. So, Again, they benefit from the uh, luxury of time somehow. <laughs> this is this worked out, I guess, if you can frame it that way. But it, it just it can't happen again, that's for sure. Right, what kind of hits you is today is Sunday. We, we talk mm-hmm. about how we, we've forgotten what day it is so often. Today's Sunday. So three weeks from now, this would have been the opener. So let's say, I mean, how many teams were, were mixed up in this? And, of course, the Browns had a double-digit test. They weren't all players, but – what stands out to you is how something like this could affect the outcome of games. And look, you're trying to play this season in the midst of a pandemic. You're already pushing the limits a little bit. And and what you don't want is this thing starting to affect outcomes, right? Obviously there are worse things that could happen, but if you're going to be playing the games, you, you at least, you know, want the outcomes to to not be affected, especially by uh, false positives. Uh, So this should be a wake up call for the NFL. And I believe I saw somewhere that they're going to move up, the pregame testing. They're going to actually have it at a time where if somebody does come back positive, they can test again and, and maybe get them on the field uh, for a Sunday. So, you know, I, I think what this drives home is we're also kind of trying to figure this out, right? I mean, you go back to Matthew Stafford. So he yeah. had his false positive and the NFL had to make some changes to their protocols. Uh, you know, Jamie Gillen is a guy that, that had a positive test that, that was a little weird. He had it weeks before. So it just sort of emphasizes to me that everybody's still kind of trying to figure this out, especially trying to pull this off outside of a bubble. The governor of Ohio had a false positive. Right. (laughs) So, you know, when the governor's having a false positive, uh, you know that you're going to have to be very, very careful with all this. I think the thing uh, that, that was standing out to me before this all happened was, I was absolutely amazed, and I actually said this to my husband last night, I could not believe that there were so few positive COVID tests in the NFL. It wasn't adding up to me. It was weird. I mean, they're not in a bubble. They're going home, and here they were testing at a rate so much lower than, you know, the general population, and I know they kind of have a pseudo bubble going on, but I was still shocked that once the pads went on, that the testing, you know, the positives didn't start showing up. So, you know, I just think there are inconsistencies in testing labs. There are inconsistencies throughout the country. And I think it's going to be very, very difficult to get this right and keep control of it. The other part of this too, that I think might be concerning if, if you really want to think about it is if we're getting false positives, are we getting false negatives? I don't know. This is all too confusing. People smarter than me will have to figure all that stuff out. I I don't know. Let's talk about the Browns and and how this really impacts them, though. Assuming everything, everybody's back, everything's back to normal on Monday or Tuesday, uh, the Browns were able to get onto the practice field uh, today. We weren't allowed to watch it, but they also weren't able to go in pads. It was a shorter practice. Uh, they, they, They went without pads for the second straight day. We're three weeks away from their first game. We're recording this on Sunday. 
in three weeks, they'll be in Baltimore playing a football game. We've talked about this a little bit. We haven't quite seen that intensity ramp up. And I, and I feel like that's something that's coming. But I do think this is a team that just can't afford to lose a lot of practices right now. Yeah, you know what? They, they certainly can't. And fortunately for them, they did not lose a padded practice today. They only have 14 of those. And they were certainly not going to waste one of those uh, when who knows how many players are, are out. I, like I said, I've, I've kind of been told that it was double digits, but that's not just players. That includes coaches, staff members, and players. Uh, and I don't know, is double digits 19? You know, we, we just don't know yet. And the Browns did not have to announce uh, who these positive COVID tests were, were for today. And it, they did not put it on their injury list today. Uh, they're kind of keeping that under wraps, which I think is another reason why we're not out there today. Um, so if they test negative again tomorrow, they can get on the practice field. So we'll have a better handle on this whole thing tomorrow. Uh, but fortunately for them, they did not waste a padded practice uh, because there are so very, very few of them. Uh, and, and I think it's good that they, they got back out on the field. I think that was really, really good um, because at first they were the really one of the only teams, maybe the only team out of the ones impacted that were kind of canceling their day. And so then they scrambled and pivoted and put it back together. And I think that part of it was good. Um, but, you know, but we don't know. I mean, was Baker out there today? You know, like we're not really sure exactly who was there, who wasn't there. I don't even know if Kevin Stefanski was there today, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm sure he was, but, uh, but you know, we just don't know about too much of that yet. And, you know, let's just hope that, um, that going forward, they can kind of shore this up a little bit, but I don't think it's going to be easy. I think that there's a lot of testing inconsistency from lab to lab, and there's no fail-proof method. Right, Ellis, when you look at what this team has to do, I mean, Mary Kay, you're right, they didn't lose a padded practice, but it's still a tough, if, you know, if you've got a schedule and you've got a regiment to have that broken up, especially when you're already scrambling and you're already trying to get ready with a new coach, a new system, all of this stuff, it just throws another wrench into things. Yeah, and I'll keep it on the field. Simply put, they're, they're just running out of time and they need every day possible to go out there and have this offense running precision routes, timing, just getting used to each other. And I think we're entering a territory where we really need to start worrying about that week one game. Now, with no preseason games, I realize that's tough to say and Cleveland could come out and shock the world and beat Baltimore. But, you know, hoping and wishing for these types of things and then actually seeing it uh, manifest at practice is where it starts. And we haven't seen all that many real crisp, cool, collective and altogether practices from this offense yet. And again, as I just said, they're, they're running out of time because the defense looks ahead and that makes sense. They're going to react and be fast, but there's a very specific system. Kevin Stefanski is trying to install. Uh, last year we saw what happens when you try to just let your best players win. And that's not what Kevin Stefanski is about to try and do, but he needs the time to install this system. And I, you know, does one practice did that completely change my mind? No, I kind of felt this way already going into week one and we'll get into predictions. I'm sure uh, in a couple of weeks here, but now you really got to start being concerned because I know Kevin Stefanski is not going to go out there and make excuses, but I'm, I think we can start making one for him here. It's just, they're, they're really running out of time and having some bad breaks here. 
Yeah, they, they really are. I mean, it was a, a very stressful first week. I mean, let's be honest about yeah. it. It was a very stressful week to have to watch uh, your starting linebacker take out your star running back, and mm. then your star linebacker 24 hours later go out with a potential season-ending injury of his own. Now, I've since reported that uh, they believe there's a, definitely a chance he can, can come back this season. It's looking less likely that he will need that season-ending surgery. We talked about that on the pod yesterday. Um, but still, it was a very, very stressful week. I mean, camp started with J.C. Treader having knee surgery. Yeah. You, know, so you see him go out. You know, then you see, uh, you know, then you see Nick Chubb leave with a concussion. Then you see Mac Wilson. Then you see Kevin Johnson. It's, that's a tough first week for a first-time head coach. Then – you show up on Saturday, and by Saturday night, double-digit people in your organization have tested positive for COVID. Now, who has to start an NFL career like that as a head coach? You know, I mean, it's tough enough to handle this whole crazy situation if you're over there in, uh, you know, in Baltimore and you're John Harbaugh and you have seen it all and you've been through it all. They're having their own issues over there, by the way. Right. Uh, so that's one good thing that uh, the Browns can maybe take – in uh, in knowing that it's not all roses and sunshine over in Baltimore right now either, right? I mean, they you know they've got guys fighting with each other. Earl Thomas getting uh, getting let go. Safety Earl Thomas. That's a big blow at this point in the season. Lamar Jackson hasn't been practicing. He's got a soft tissue issue issue of some sort. So it's not like you know we're getting reports out of Baltimore every day that. Uh, you know, they're just knocking it out of the park every single practice and everything's rosy and wonderful while the Browns are trying to figure out who's going to play linebacker for them. So, uh, you know, that's one thing to kind of keep an eye on. But I think what they're going to have to do is on offense, I think right now they're trying to install everything and put every single thing that they know onto the grass. And they're going to have to get to the point pretty soon where they're going to have to start picking and choosing what they can do really well. And they're going to have to leave the rest behind for right now. And they're going to have to probably, you know, run the ball really well and have some really good running plays that they feel good about. And then in the passing game, simplify it so that Baker's not thinking too much, the receivers aren't thinking too much, and they can play some fast and sound football. Right. Look, handing the ball to Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt is not a bad strategy. <laughs> I think we've seen that. And also Earl Thomas, uh, buddy, stay off Instagram. Cost yourself a lot of money by, by going to Instagram yesterday. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to talk about a roster move that the Browns made today. I'll tell you about Football Insider, and we'll talk about that on the other side. Time for me to tell you all about Football Insider, our tech subscription service where me, Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko, Alice Williams will text you with the latest on the Browns news, analysis, what we're thinking, and more. You can text us back and we respond directly to you cutting through the clutter of social media. You also get opportunities to get involved in this podcast and participate in roundtables and other events for our subscribers. It's like a little club and you want to get involved with this club. You even get a newsletter every day. It's got exclusive content you either won't see on cleveland.com or you'll see before anyone else. You know what, though? Don't let me tell you about it. How about if you hear from some of our subscribers as to why they love Football Insider? I, I don't know why any Browns fan would not want to have this. It's great. There's something every day. I mean, it's really, really keep, keeps me in touch with uh, the Browns. The daily newsletter that y'all put out there, I, I really like that. It's got a lot of links, a lot of different read-ups. I, I mean, just 
you know, you get a lot of content. That's why I like it. If I'm at work or something, I need a quick break. I can hit that up and say, oh, and in a minute I can read uh, what you wrote and, uh, you know, see maybe that there's further information in, you know, one of your other articles or something like that. I get excited when I see, you know, my little text messages pop up. <laughs> so if you want to join us, you can start a 14-day free trial by going to cleveland.com slash browns and clicking on the box on the right side of the page. It's $3.99 per month after the trial. Or even easier, since it is a text service, pick up your phone and text 216-208-3965 to get signed up. Again, to start your 14-day free trial, text 216-208-3965. And back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, another reason we really wanted to get one of these recorded tonight is because the Browns made a move at linebacker. We talked a little bit about Mac Wilson earlier, and the Browns today on Sunday went out and signed linebacker Malcolm Smith, a former Super Bowl, Super Bowl MVP with Seattle, has sort of bounced around a little bit. You know, I don't know exactly what Malcolm Smith has left. I don't know what he can contribute right now. We'll see. Uh, but Mary Kay, this kind of tells me that this team wasn't exactly thrilled with the status quo at linebacker. No, and you know what? Even before Mac Wilson went down, they were going to add some depth at linebacker. So I can't honestly say that he that Malcolm Smith would not have signed even if Mac Wilson uh, were healthy. Uh, I should have known that this was going to happen today, but there's just been so much crazy stuff going on. Uh, I lost track a little bit of Malcolm Smith. I should have known because I kept asking and I kept not getting an answer. I kept getting radio silence from uh, different you know, areas about that. Uh, but that's because these guys have to pass the COVID protocol before they can come into the building. So these guys have to go through the four days of testing, three positive tests in those four days, just like everybody else has to do. Same thing that Kevin Johnson's gonna have to do now to get back into the building. So, um, so that was what was going on with this. They had him in, um, I can't even remember now. I don't even know what day it is. I had the wrong day on a headline. Some day last week. <laughs> <laughs> so they had him in and they must've known that day they wanted to sign him. Now he's through the protocol. And, uh, and you know what, again, it's depth at the position and it's some veteran depth at the position, which I think is important. BJ Goodson has established himself as the vocal leader, the veteran leader on this team. They need a little bit more of that. I think we saw even in what happened with Mac Wilson, and Nick Chubb, but these are young guys that still need some guidance. They still need people that can take them aside in the, in the linebacker room and say, hey, here's how we do things. Here's how we approach things. So I think that veteran presence will help. Right, Ellis, I, I mean, I'm a firm believer that you need to have grownups in, in a lot of position groups. And having a guy that's won, having a guy that's, that's obviously won a Super Bowl, but also been a part of other winning programs, I think that's always a, a good thing for a football team in a position group. Yeah, and he, that is going to be the role he'll fill immediately. As Mary Kay was saying, that, that veteran presence, uh, he's a 31-year-old backer, uh, played four seasons in Seattle with the, the Legion of Boom, um, Super Bowl MVP, I'm pretty sure if I'm remembering. Yeah. And he, and if I'm remembering right, he picked off that um, tip pass from uh, Colin Kaepernick to Michael Crabtree that Sherman got a hand on in the okay. NFC Championship and we got that, uh, sorry, don't try with a sorry receiver, like Crabtree moment. Um, sidebar there. Point being, like you said, Dan, I don't know what he has left. I'm excited to go and watch the tape on him at some point this week, which uh, I plan on doing. But he's been on two teams, uh, 
in last year he had four tackles in those two on those four teams started one game um now is that injury related is that he just couldn't get on the field stuff that's the stuff I, I need to figure out about Malcolm Smith but that those years of experience is something you can't take away he knows what championship football is he's five years older than the oldest linebacker on the roster which is BJ Goodson I believe and that, that says a lot. And that's exactly what he's going to bring, I'm sure, to Cleveland right away. And then if he can contribute on the field, that's going to be a bonus. But you're, you're exactly right, Mary Kay. They needed to do something at this spot. And just from the pedigree, Malcolm Smith checks a lot of boxes. You know, I will say, however, and I've just been saying this for so long, I really do wonder, you know, what does he bring to the table that, uh, you know, that Clay Matthews would not have? You know, I, and I know that Clay Matthews is significantly older but to be able to produce eight sacks last season, I feel like you still have to have something left in the tank. And I don't think he graded out very well. And I keep thinking I have to go back and look at grades and stuff like that on him. And I don't necessarily think for whatever reason he was a fit for, for this particular defense. Um, but I, I guess I would have to say I'm still a little bit disappointed that they did not bring him in for a look, for a tryout, just to see what he could do. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, Clay is more of a, you know, he's definitely more of an edge rusher at this point in his career. And, you know, I'm a little surprised. I would think this team would want to add more edge rushers if they could. And, and of course, look, there's the low-hanging fruit there of his name is Clay Matthews, right? He's, he's the son of a, of a legend of the, of the football team. That can't be the only reason you sign a guy, but it's not bad PR. Um, I, I am a little curious that they haven't kicked the tires on him yet that, that we know of. Uh, but Malcolm Smith is the guy, and uh, so – you know, you add a, a veteran to that linebacker group, and I'm curious to see sort of how he how he mixes in uh, over this next week when we get to watch practice again, uh, likely starting on Monday. Anything else you guys have to add before we go? Nothing? All right, perfect. That'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We will be back with you on Monday after practice, or if you're listening to this on Monday, later today after practice. Uh, remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, so this will show up right on your phone as soon as I hit publish. And for Football Insider, text 216-208-3965 and get that 14-day free trial. It's a perfect time to try it out uh, because we have lots of camp stuff coming your way on Football Insider. So for Ellis and Mary Kay, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.